You are tuning in to the Atlanta Realtors Rundown, the official podcast for the Atlanta Realtors. We're here to keep you updated with the latest trends, topics, and keep you in the know of our ever-changing Atlanta market. We hope you enjoy this episode. everyone. Today, I am honored to be joined by the award-winning researcher, author, and professor, Dr. Elizabeth Corver-Glenn. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yay! Well, today, we will be discussing Dr. Elizabeth's latest research on appraisals, which we as realtors no can be the deal breakers, the deal makers in our industry, making this a vital conversation that I'm really excited we get to discuss. Before we jump in though, as the audience knows, I always like to start with a quick icebreaker, just fun. I did not tell you about this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> just to get your core gut responses, we're going to just okay. do some- fun rapid fire questions. So here we go. All right. Tiny house or RV? RV. Oh, okay. So you want to be able to travel? Yes. Yep. I love that. The, a restless wandering soul. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle with that one. I feel like I would probably do the RV too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In town or country? In town. No question. I'm an incurable urbanist for sure. I love it. Me too. Okay. Waterfall or infinity pool? Waterfall. Home gym or home office? Home office. Last one, crypto or cash? Cash, definitely. Thank you for playing our quick warm-up game. It helps us to get to know you a little bit. Those are just fun real estate questions since the topic can get a little heavy uh, for some people. So (laughs) anyway, let's get into our main topic, your eye-opening research on appraisal. So to begin, for those that perhaps have not yet perused Um, this latest research, may we have a synopsis of what you discovered in regards to appraisals? Yeah. So um, first, I'd like to give just a little bit of context because the data that we used for for the report were unprecedented. Um, And my colleague, Dr. Junia Howell, and I have been working on this issue for almost 10 years. Um, And we started filing Freedom of Information Act requests to try to get our hands on the uniform appraisal data set Uh, almost a decade ago. We filed multiple requests. We were denied every time. And so when we kind of reached these barriers, we started using other sources of data to try to understand um, what's going on with appraisals. I was also studying, as you know, um, uh, real estate agents, mortgage bankers, developers. um, And I conducted lots of interviews with appraisers. I did ethnographic observations with appraisers. And my colleague, um, Dr. Howell and I started using other forms of data to try to essentially like triangulate, like try to use them as proxies for appraisal data because we couldn't get our hands on any actual appraisal data. 
So um, we found uh, over and over again, every analysis we ran, no matter what data set we were using, we found that neighborhood racial composition um, was a tremendous predictor of home values. And that in fact, that effect had been growing over time. And so some of that research, along with other research um, that folks like Dr. Andre Perry at the Brookings um, Institution have been doing, um, helped propel the Biden administration to create the property appraisal and, and valuation equity uh, task force um, soon after the administration um, kind of began its tenure. And one of the sort of things that came out of the action plan that that task force created was the public release of the uniform appraisal data set aggregated statistics. And so on October 24th of this year, so just over a month ago, um, the Federal Housing Finance Agency released this data for the first time ever. Um, it uh, contains appraisal data from 2013 all the way through the second quarter of 2022. And, um, and we, um, Dr. Howell and I immediately uh, jumped on the opportunity to be able to analyze these data, uh, which again, had never been available to researchers publicly before, um, at least not researchers outside of the, of the enterprises or the federal government or, uh, or the industry. So, uh, so what we did was we combined um, those data with uh, lots of other data on neighborhood characteristics like socioeconomic status, amenities, and so on. Um, and we looked at all the data from 2013 to 2022. We only looked at um, cities that had at least 500,000 people and, and at least 50,000 of those had to be residents of color to ensure that there weren't some outliers that were kind of skewing our results. And so what we found um, I'll just give you the five like main takeaways. First, we found that homes in white neighborhoods are appraised at double the value of homes in communities of color during that period. So co comparing similar homes located in neighborhoods with the same socioeconomic status, comparable amenities, homes in white neighborhoods are appraised as worth $371,000 more than their counterparts in communities of color. So that's takeaway one. Uh, takeaway two is that racial inequality and in appraised values increased 75% over the last decade. So not only is the gap growing, the rate at which is, it is expanding tripled in the last decade. Um, third, the pandemic um, and its associated monetary policy further exacerbated racial inequality and appraised values. So in the mere two years, so during the, like the, the height of the pandemic, the average home in white neighborhoods increased in value $136,000, which was more than twice the appreciation of a comparable house, a community of color experience. Um, the fourth takeaway, racial inequality is growing fastest in the hottest housing markets. Um, can talk a little bit more about that later, but we found that that it wasn't benefiting everyone equally, right? Like we, we've heard a lot um, in, in presenting our work elsewhere, people are like, oh, but in my city, it's, it's such a hot market. It's really helping the communities of color too. And we're like, okay, it might be helping them a little bit, but it's helping the white neighborhoods a lot more. And that's exactly what these data um, uh, said as well. And then the last takeaway um, was that essentially the difference between white neighborhoods and communities of color was particularly stark for American Indian, Alaska Native, uh, Southeast Asian and Pacific Islander communities. So um, in 2021, for instance, homes in white neighborhoods were appraised over three times more valuable than comparable homes in similar American Indian Alaska Native, Alaska Native neighborhoods. So those, those are the main takeaways of, of the report. Um, it's 
essentially not only confirming all of our prior research, uh, but it's actually even worse um, than what we found um, happening between 1980 and 2015, for instance. Um, the period that, that these data cover from 2013 to 2021, uh, the story is actually um, even worse and it's getting worse um, by the year. Oh boy, is what I said when I first saw the research and now even hearing you explain it again, I'm just like, it's, it definitely, of course, means we have a ways to go, but it's almost disheartening because we have had now decades of policies and laws in place that, to your point, on the surface, some people may feel, oh, well, no, no, it can't be that bad. Oh, no, this is helping everyone. Oh, no. But in reality, the numbers are telling us a different story. Yeah. Do you have recommendations? What can we do about this? What are your thoughts? Well, so in, in the report, um, we kind of come up with two broad recommendations. Um, one of them is that, um, and, and not only in this work, but uh, some of the work that I've done, for instance, in my book, Race Brokers, um, was is look at essentially the predominant method for appraising home value, which I, I know that your realtor, uh, your realtor audience is also familiar with the sales comparison approach, um, which actually originated almost 100 years ago um, um, and became kind of professionalized as the dominant method of appraising homes. And there are, as, as you all know, there are multiple ways to, to assess home value. Um, and there wasn't a dominant method a hundred years ago. There were, the, many methods were used, right? So like the cost approach, for instance, the income approach. Um, but around the time that um, that the industry, the appraisal industry was professionalizing, um, the, um, the Roosevelt administration was trying to pull the United States out of the depression. We start the federal um, housing administration, all of that stuff. The, essentially, the federal government gives the architect of the sales comparison approach the green light to institutionalize this, right? And literally explicitly make an individual home's value uh, worth based on its location, not not in a not in a like benign sense, but in terms of who is living nearby, the neighborhood racial composition, the neighborhood class composition. And when the Fair Housing Act passed and then a series of related legislation into the 1970s, um, the Community um, Reinvestment Act, for instance, um, in 1977, there, was, there were lawsuits, for instance, there was one against the appraisal industry um, in 1976, um, essentially bringing into explicit uh, racial discrimination um, and the requirement to record race on appraisal reports. Um, but nothing is done about that method. So in 1978, um, appraisers are still doing uh, um, their valuations of homes and they're drawing on comps from 1977 or 1976, right? So literally baking into um, the, the sort of contemporary um, uh, landscape, what had been previously explicitly racist in classes, right? And nothing about that method substantively changed between um, all this fair housing legislation and then how things are today, right? And so even comparing like the historical method to, to like the appraisal institutes um, training materials nowadays, there are it, it's there there's so many similarities. It's it's eerie, right? Um, so the word race isn't like used, um, but there are lots of other sort of coded words, right? And in my research with appraisers, I that's exactly how they interpret them, right? 
Um, so for me, um, in, in, in this report, we highlight the method itself and the logic of the sales comparison approach as truly problematic and one of the reasons why we're continuing to see these inequities. Another recommendation is that, and, and this, I don't know how, how um, this might sit with your audience, but we, we say in our report, listen, we have, we have all of, or not we personally, but the federal government has the individual transaction data for all of these reports, all the millions of them. We can actually fix this. We can go back and correct these inequities. We, have, we know who was involved in these transactions. We know how much money was lost because people, you know, for instance, like appraisal comes in below contract price, for instance, homeowners and communities of color lose out because they can't sell their homes, right? So we know, we, we know the federal government has that data. We have to do something about that. Like at least I, we think we think something has to be done about that because this isn't just about historical redlining. This isn't just about, oh, that happened then. We can't fix it now. We don't know who, who was being directly affected. No, we know exactly who was being affected. And we think that uh, the word that we use, reparations need to be paid uh, because this is unjust and we know exactly who was involved. You know, I love so much of what you're saying and I get it. Some, some of the people in our audience may think, well, I'm an individual agent. I don't know that I have much sway. I wanna address the individual part in a moment, but here's the thing about us collectively as realtors. We, I, I feel like I say this now almost every podcast, I'm always bringing out the fact that we are known as America's largest trade association. We have a level of power that not many groups have. So we do actually have influence and we can persuade. So I love this. And I think this is something that our governmental affairs should be tackling. We could actually have some sway in this. So thank you for pointing that out. What do you think from an individual standpoint? And, and let me, I want, I want to just draw attention to what you've said, because you've, you've actually said it is kind of two things going on here, right? So we do still have this almost domino effect where we never really, even though redlining became illegal, we never broke out of, again, this domino that had already started as far as valuation. So that's one piece of it, right, that needs to be corrected, which to your point, I do think, let's dig up some records. Let's, let's start paying people back. My grandmother, sidebar, is in her 90s. And um, my granddad was a World War II veteran, but because he was Black, he did not get his housing benefits that he should have. And we know that was a thing, not just for Black Americans, Asian Americans. People are fighting to this day to get this money back. So it is important. Um, but then on the second tier of this, I see we actually have people that they do segregate. I'll just, I, I don't know any other way to say it. They segregate it. And I know we've had reports from the National Fair Housing Alliance. They've shown us literal, um, the comment section of appraisers saying it's too many Mexicans here. 
or you know whatever it may be so we're there's this dual problem so we've got the historical piece but then we've got the individual piece so from the individual standpoint do you have any recommendations for us that are we're not the appraisers right but right you right. touch them so what do you think we should do <laughs> okay so i do have thoughts on this and every time i bring it up um it's like it, it's it's the elephant in the room um when I talk to realtors um, about the issue of inequitable valuations, for me, and I, I wrote about this in my book, one of the key parts of this for real estate brokers, for real estate agents, is how you all get paid, which is, generally speaking, the percentage-based commission. Um, and please stop me at any, any time, because like, I know sometimes like I've, I've had folks like come on stage and like, like get real uncomfortable when I like talk about it, but, um, <laughs> um, but, he, but here's the thing, like in my research with real estate agents, they know they're very, very aware of this inequity across neighborhoods, right? They know that the most expensive homes are in white neighborhoods and that homes in communities of color are, are worth much less or priced at much lower amounts, right? So what do they do? They, they know their commissions are based on a percent of the home's value. So across the board, vast majority of real estate agents try to work with white clients and white neighborhoods. They spend more time with them. They spend more effort trying to get those homes and try to get them sold. So what does that mean? It means that white homeowners and white home buyers are benefiting disproportionately relative to their counterparts in communities of color. But another part of this is that we also know that white people who buy into white neighborhoods or white sellers who are selling their homes overwhelmingly work with white agents that are in their social networks or that they got referred to, right? So what this structure of inequality does not only benefits the white housing consumer, it disproportionately benefits white agents. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because they're getting paid so much more in commission, as you saw, like, from the report itself, like double, like the homes in white neighborhoods are worth double the amount of homes in communities of color. So real estate agents of color who can't work in white neighborhoods who are, or who are trying to service their um, communities that, you know, that they're from, they're not getting paid equally for the same work. I think that should be talked about. And I also think, I know, so the other thing about this is that when I was doing, when I was doing field work with real estate agents, I, I know it's, you know, like people were not writing down numbers. They were not like, they were, there was no paper trail, but I observed instance after instance of real estate agents who were policing other agents' uh, commission behavior. So like real estate agents who would report other agents who tried to lower their commission or real estate agents who would not work with agents who, who had, did alternative fee structures like flat fee or something like that. They just would refuse to work with them. Um, and so what does this do? It keeps the percentage-based commission intact, even if it's not written down, even if it's not a formal policy. And, um, and that commission structure disproportionately um, benefits white communities and homeowners and home buyers in white communities and white agents who represent them. And I think that that should be talked about. <laughs> I think that I think that agents, whether it's brokerages, uh, like brokers, individual agents. I don't know. I don't know all the norms. Obviously, I'm not. I'm not an agent myself. But somehow, I think that that is something that also individual agents can do. Actually, because even though you're not selecting the the comps that appraisers themselves are using, although I've seen agents try to influence appraisers' comp selections lots of times. Um, you're not ultimately, you know, the ones doing that valuation. Um, 
but you are indirectly and directly related to it in that your pay is very often tied to um, the valuation itself um, in terms of like how much the home is actually sold for. So, I mean, I, I don't know how that sits with, with you or your audience, but I, I try to talk about it as much as I can because I think it's a really important issue. No, that's a great point to bring up. And, you know, it speaks to a lot of things, even if, even if a company weren't go to go to a flat fee model per se, there's still a lot of things around the income structure that could make it more equitable. There, there is. There's that that would be a whole nother pot, I think, and a whole nother discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but it is an interesting point and it deserves thought and discussion yeah. because yeah. the bottom line for me, again, with your research. Um, as well as, again, just in 2021, there's been so many, thankfully, so many different data sets that have shown we are decades into this now, but we have seen either very marginal changes or, again, to your point, Native and Indigenous people, they're actually in the negative, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not working. No. We do have to figure it out. We've got to yeah. think outside the box about all of this. Yeah. And again, I think um, it doesn't need to just be dismissed. Like, oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, that's too much to ask. Mm -hmm. um, well, go ahead. Well, the, I was going to say one of the other things that, um, that as you were talking, um, I was reminded of this. So um, at the individual level, you know, like if you're if you're working with clients and and their appraisal comes in below the contract price, I would say be real suspicious of that, especially if it's in a community of color, because we know that that happens more often in communities of color. We know that systematically appraisers are turning in valuations that are below contract price. And so if that happens to you or your clients, I would, I would maybe try to get a second appraisal. I would push back a little bit. I would, you know, there are things you can do, right? Um, to, to try to uh, address that, right? Um, because we know, we've, we've seen the data. We know that it happens more often in communities of color, net of home characteristics, right? Um, and, and so actually, and that was one of the ways that I first got into this research was that happened to someone that I knew in Houston lived in an amenity rich, like middle, upper middle class community of color in suburban Houston. And they tried to sell their house and the appraisal came in well below the contract price. And they ended up having to go through a short sale and it was a disaster, right? Lost so much equity. And so I think at the individual level, that's yet another thing, right? To, to be aware that this is what's happening and, and be willing to use that influence as a real estate agent to try to, to pressure the lender or the um, yeah, it's like the others that are involved to, to maybe do like, give it another look. Right. That's so good. And, you know, I know I personally, when I was on the sales side, I'm now more on the training and management side, but when I was on the sales side, as well as even within the last year or two, some of the agents that I work with, we have had to go to bat. We've been on the news. We've been on the local news. We've been on national news, ABC discussing how our clients, you know, when it's a person of color, particularly black, they get one appraisal and within days. So it's not enough time where there should be this, even though the markets fluctuated, there shouldn't be this huge differential when we now have a white friend or a white agent. 
uh, stand in for them, but it is. Um, so we've, we've been highlighting this over the last couple of years since the pandemic started. And um, it is, it's disheartening again. It almost speaks to why the commission model does somewhat help because for some people, the fact that they get more commission when the appraisal value comes out higher, they do go to bat, they will go to managers. So again, I think that that conversation, we need to discuss how to restructure things so that there's more buy-in. Um, there's so much, there's so much there. I don't wanna make this a super long conversation. <laughs> But um, any final thoughts? There's so much good information. I want to encourage everyone, and I'm sure in our show notes, we'll include the link to the report. But I, I just want to encourage everyone, if they haven't read it, read the report. But any final thoughts, particularly for real estate professionals, what, what else? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I would just say that one of the things that we uh, have run into over and over again is, um, is real estate professionals who kind of, as you alluded to earlier, like, well, it's just me, like, what, what can I do? Or, you know, we don't really make the market. We're just, we're just facilitating. We're just like helping folks. And, and as, as someone who's been studying this for almost a decade now, it's like, well, you all are really important to this process. And you, you make a lot of decisions that affect real housing consumers lives in a lot of ways. And it's, it, it, I mean, it's your job. So it, it might feel like routine or just like not that special, but for the average American who might buy one, maybe two houses in their entire lifetime, you all are, you know, things, you are the authority figures and you, you make really important decisions um, that actually do matter and that do make the market in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and so just, I guess, just to keep that in mind and, um, uh, um, just continue, I guess, to to be open to um, the research that's coming out. Um, to um, yeah, to be brave and have the conversations that need to be had about how to foster equity um, in a system that, for for a hundred years, was uh, and more was intended explicitly to foster inequity, um, and what and what that really means for for your daily lives. Um, I'll also just say that um, on the report website. Um, you can access the individual um, like metro specific reports um, for all 105 metropolitan areas that are in the study. So if you're interested in Portland, Oregon, or you're interested in New York or Chicago or what up, whatever, um, you can go to the reports website and you can click on the individual city and see the, the city specific results there. Um, so yeah, that might be an interesting tool for you all as well. I think it will be. And again, thank you for not only doing this research, but allowing us to kind of pick your brain, uh, because this is, like you said, this is groundbreaking, first of its kind. So we, as the real estate professionals who are, in a sense, the gatekeepers of this industry, um, we should be on the cutting edge. We need to know what's happening. So again, thank you. So Dr. Elizabeth, Corver, Glenn, before I let you go, how can people keep up with you? I'm sure, you know, your fascinating yeah. research. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so I am, uh, I'm on uh, Instagram at EKG underscore rights, W-R-I-T-E-Z, 
W R I T E S. <laughs> um, I'm also on Twitter, at least until you know however long Twitter is around. Um, I'm at Elizabeth K G K A Y G E E, um, and um, you can also find me on my website, ElizabethCorverGlenn.com. Love it. Well, again, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Atlanta Realtors Rundown. Please subscribe. And for more information on how to get engaged, check us out at atlantarealtors.com. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode.